what do you value in life? What do, what do you value? Faith, family, friends, food, finances, frugality. Maybe yours is fitness. Maybe it's flowers. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's front page news. Maybe it's fizzy drinks. Maybe it's figgy pudding. I don't know. Maybe for you, it's something that doesn't begin with the letter F. That's fine. But whatever it is that you value, and you do value something, your values feed and drive the way you think, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you work, the way you play. In other words, what you value drives how you live your life every single day. Our values matter. Our values say something about who we are. I saw something recently that that said our values also are kind of this mental measurement for us that when we're kind of looking at whether or not we like life and and we think that life is turning out okay, we're kind of using our values to measure that, you know, or are things turning out okay? Well, is, is life kind of working with my values? For instance, if you're someone who values spending time with family and friends and yet you work 80 hours a week as an underwater welder in the South Pacific Ocean, then your plans are probably going to feel like they've gone under, right? That you're, you're not very happy with maybe how things have turned out in life because what you value most, you never really get to participate in. Or maybe you really value fishing, but you live in the desert, you know? If, if so, you're, you're not going to be very hooked on the plans of your life, right? Because it's not going to feel like how you hoped life would turn out. So, what do you value? What do you value? Because what you value, it matters a lot. We begin a new series today called Together for Good. And what we're going to be doing is is looking at one of the most valuable things on earth. One of the most valuable things that you can have in your life. And that most valuable thing is to have a life inside of a local, healthy church. Now, now why in the world would we say a, a local, healthy church would be so valuable? Well, Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So I'm thinking conquering death and hell seems like it would be pretty valuable to your life, right? So to be a part of a a healthy local church is extremely valuable. And being part of a healthy local church does does not mean that you're part of some kind of Christian cult, you know, and and you're just with your little group and you cut yourself off from from other churches. You're like, oh, we're we're the true church. You know, we, we get it right. No, it's the opposite. To be a part of a healthy local church means that you understand you are part of the everlasting family of God, the eternal family of God, the kingdom of God that will go on forever and ever and ever. So it's not just escaping hell. It's not just escaping death. But to be a part of the church means that you are part of the only kingdom that will be forever and ever and ever so what does a healthy church look like well it looks like a lot of things but maybe a bigger question is why should you 
make life in a local church one of your most important values in life? Let's see if we can find out together. Simon Peter was writing to some Christians who were facing all kinds of difficulties and stress in life, and he tried to encourage them with how amazing the local church is for our lives. Let's look at what he says. First Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. He writes, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. So a healthy local church is a special group of people that are very specially gifted. So that's, that's super special. So why is it that church people are so special? Is it because they're better than everyone else? Absolutely not. A couple of chapters back, Peter described this picture of what it means to be a part of God's special church like this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christians are the chosen people of God, a a people for God's own possession, a people that were bought at a precious and astounding price. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body. And that means to be in Christ means that our sins are no longer remembered. They're no longer held against us. It means that we are no longer marked with condemnation, that we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. It means that we once had not received mercy, and now we are swimming in oceans of mercy. Christians are not better than everyone else in some weird, uppity, religious way. It's just that Christians have been bought. Bought with a a precious price. And we've received mercy. And we love that mercy so much that it changes how we live. And we want other people to find that mercy. I don't know if they still do it this way, but at least some years ago, Emmanuel Church in Nashville, they used to begin their service the same way every Sunday. And I, I feel like I did it a few Sundays, maybe when I first came to the church, but, but this is a powerful way to begin a service. This is what they used to say. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. That's a pretty good invitation. And and it's always true. It's always true that this invitation of mercy is there. 
Why are Christians special people? Because we are no longer an enemy of God because we have met the friend of sinners. That changes things. We once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We once had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We once were dead in our sins, but but now we're alive. And how should we respond to that? How should we respond to all of this mercy that we've been given? Well, Peter says we should respond by serving one another with our special gift. So what is our special gift? Well, oftentimes we hear this used as spiritual gift. So what's a spiritual gift? Well, a spiritual gift is a a talent or an ability or a skill that, that you have that you're allowed to use to spread the fame of God and to serve other people. Now, a spiritual gift is, is something that is unique to you and yet at the same time is, is not only unique for you. See, in, in helping God's people with your spiritual gift, you're helping God's church. And in helping God's church, you're actually shining the light of God's Love. Therefore, to use your special gift, your spiritual gift, is to, in a very real way, shine the light of the gospel in a dark and sinful world. Here's just a quick list of some of the spiritual gifts that we see in the New Testament. There's serving, there's, there's teaching, exhorting, there's giving, there's leading, there's showing mercy. There's speaking wisdom. There's speaking knowledge. There's faith and discernment and interpretation and helping and administration and on and on we could go. There's, there's lots of things we see in the New Testament when it comes to these special spiritual gifts, so to speak. And, and those are all things that we can do, but Paul even throws out something that's kind of like who we are. In writing to the church at Corinth, Paul was writing about being single. And he said, you know what? I wish everybody could be like me. I wish everybody could be like me, could, could be single, could just be used of the Lord, would feel the, the joy and the power of what it means to be set apart only for the Lord. But, he said, each one has their own gift from God. So, so in a sense, Paul's saying, you know, even being single or being married, those are spiritual gifts from God. And those are just a a few things. Uh, There's more. I mean, remember, this is the God who spoke the world into existence. So we have to think that within his economy, there's, there's more than just a few gifts, but there's limitless gifts that God could use in our lives. And the only reason I say that is for for those of us who have been around the church for some time, uh, over the years, there's spiritual gift tests. They're great. They're helpful. They're, they're, They're good. But don't get completely wrapped up in a spiritual gift test. Be sure that you just use it as a, as a tool. Um, I know uh, when, when I first took the spiritual gift test, I didn't test well on anything. You know, <laughs> I was a real loser, and I was like, I guess, I'm not, I guess I ain't got no gifts. So, so we have to be careful. And I don't know, maybe it's true. Maybe I still don't. I don't know. But, but we have to be careful about just taking a test and, oh, this, this is who I am or this is who I'm not. No, we really have to be prayerful. 
We have to be discerning. We have to use God's word. We have to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to listen to the affirmation of the church. Listen, if you take a spiritual gift test and it says that you should be preaching, but nobody on the planet thinks you should be preaching, then don't trust the test, okay? <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that we can't just take the test. There's, there's so many things that we have to look at and, and so many ways that God works in our lives. And I say ways because the Bible never says we just have one gift, right? I mean, Peter even says that these are gifts that we have received. That's an important part, that we've received these gifts. See, when it comes to spiritual special gifts, you, you can't buy them. You can't earn them. You can't study to get them. You can't work to get them. You don't inherit them from your parents and your grandparents, Paul said this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? Are you smart? Are you creative? Are you a hard worker? That was given to you. You weren't born with that on your own. God gave you anything and everything that you have. We've received everything. And Peter says, and, and Paul says, if you've received it, then you should use it. You should use the grace of God that's been given to you. You should use your gifts to serve other people. Why? Verse 10. As good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. I love that word. Some of your Bibles, I think, say manifold grace of God. The, the majestic, manifold multifaceted grace of God was deposited in your soul, dear Christian. That's astounding. That, that kind of grace, it goes beyond our comprehension. It was deposited into our soul. The, the magnificent, manifold, multifaceted grace of God was put inside of our soul. We didn't have that grace. In fact, our souls were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God he made us alive with his grace. And so we need to stir up that grace. We need to serve with our gifts. We need to serve one another. And how are we doing at that? How are we doing at serving others with the grace of God? Well, Peter's going to push us in that direction a little bit. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. So when you talk, you just need to sound like God, right? No pressure, easy, right? Well, the, the picture here seems hard, but, but let's just kind of flesh this out a little bit. Think of your conversations this past week, and, and let's maybe make it more specific. Think of your conversations with other Christians this week. In those conversations, how much did the things of God come up? How much as Christians are we really talking about the things of God? I mean, really, think back through your conversations this week. How much were you talking about sports? How much were you talking about the economy or, or stocks? How much were you talking about the government or, or voting or, or gas prices or whatever it may be? How many of us as believers in our conversations with other believers, we actually make it a point to talk about the things of God, to encourage one another with the things of God? What about your text messages this week? 
How many times this week as you've texted uh, other believers, have you found yourself just trying to remind one another, hey, you know what, this, this isn't our home. As the choir sang earlier, I'm, I'm wanting to be traveling on. You know, I, I know there is something greater for me. How often do we encourage one another toward heaven? In our phone conversations, when we talk, are we gossiping about things at the church? Are we, you know, angry and frustrated about everything that's happening in the world? Or do we find an opportunity to say, you know what? Sin's curse has lost its grip on us. Isn't that amazing? How do you think that would start impacting some of our conversations? It doesn't mean that we hide in a hole and ignore what's going on in the world. But I can promise you nothing that the president ever does will ever touch the truth that my sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I will never bear it again how often do we talk like that to one another how often do we take this mercy that we've received and it comes up in our conversation maybe we need to do a little more Maybe that's a good challenge for us this week. At at least one time this week. At least one time. Try to make an effort to say, you know what? We once were not a people, but now we're the people of God. Or maybe let's just keep it really simple. Maybe this week at the end of a text, at the end of a phone conversation, at the end of a lunch meeting, you just say, hey man, have a great day. And remember, we have received mercy. We've received mercy. And that changes everything all the time. But the language here is speaking the words of God. So when we hear speaking the words of God, oh, well, that's what Dow does on Sunday morning. That's, you know, what my life group leader does when they're teaching the Bible. And, and yes, there's, there's some truth that, that the actual words of God are connected to the Bible for sure. And, and preaching and teaching and praying are part of those things. But, but the language Peter uses here is much different. He's using language that says when we gather together as a church, we need to be serious about the things of God. Now, does that mean that we don't need to laugh and have fun every now and then? No, by no means. It just means that when we gather, when we preach, when we teach, when we pray, when we sing, it's really important for us to make sure that we're not here just to be entertained, that we're not just at a a spectator show to enjoy the preaching or enjoy the music or enjoy the fun children's ministry or the fun youth ministry or whatever other ministry is going on. It means that the reason we need to be serious is because we live in a dark and sinful and violent and immoral society. And so we need to be serious about the things of God when we gather together because the world is a a dark place. And we need to be serious about the things of God because people are struggling. People are struggling in their marriages. Children are being rebellious. People are struggling with their health. There's all kinds of things happening in this community and in this church, and and it's constant. It never stops. You know, I've always joked, you know, my text messages are rarely, hey, what time is it, or or, what's the weather? It's, hey, this is this crushing thing happening in my life. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? These are the things that are happening all around us. There is sickness, there is death, and even deeper than death, there is spiritual death. 
There are people all around us that are disconnected from the greatest need of their souls. You see, the greatest need of anyone's soul is not to come to church and enjoy the show. It's not to go to a concert and enjoy the show. It's not to go to a game and enjoy the show. It's not to go on vacation and and enjoy the trip. The greatest need of every single soul is to be rescued and redeemed, to know God through Jesus Christ. So when we gather together, yes, we need to know that God loves us. And we need to know that, that God will be there for us when things get tough. But we also need to know that God is holy, holy, holy. We need to speak to one another in that way. We need to speak to one another in in such a way that, that when we begin to struggle with the things of life, we are able to remind each other, you know what? Our God, he's a mighty fortress. He's not just one God among many gods. He is a mighty fortress. When we speak to one another, whether it's from the pulpit or the, or the classroom or in the hallway, in the parking lot, we need to find ways to help each other remember that our Redeemer lives. When we speak to one another, we need to be serious. We need to be encouraging. We need to be filled with joy and excitement, particularly when we talk about Jesus Christ because he has triumphed over the grave. Jesus Christ, he died and rose on high. Jesus Christ, he died eternal life to bring, and Jesus lives that death may die. That's what we need to speak to one another. Because life is hard, and, and we've been given all of this grace. And so we use our gifts and we speak to one another with that grace because we need that grace. I need that grace from you. We need that grace from one another. But what if we're not speaking? Peter covers that too. Look at the next part of verse 11. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God Supplies. So this, this kind of covers everything outside of speaking, right? It means that if there's anything that you can do to help other Christians and, and even unbelievers to obey Jesus Christ, to find joy of Jesus, joy in Jesus Christ, then, then do that thing. Look for ways to serve. It might be preaching, it might be teaching, it might be praying, it might be giving money, it might be giving time, it might be volunteering. It might be making someone a meal and taking it by their house. It might be painting a classroom. It it might be emptying out a storage shed. It could be so many different things, hundreds of realities of things that we can do, things that we can find to serve. And Peter says that, that when we serve, we're actually serving with fuel from God himself. That that's our fuel. Listen, this is super important. If serving in the church for you is primarily a way for you to feel good about yourself, or if serving in the church for you is a way for you to want other people to think good about you, you will run out of gas. You will. You'll just run out of gas. it's, It's not there. But the math is super simple here. God strengthens and we serve. God strengthens and we serve. God strengthens and we serve. Listen, God's always strengthening we're not always serving, but, but he's strengthened. He longs for us to. So when we serve, he strengthens. And when we serve, he strengthens more. 
And why should we do that? Why, why should we take this grace? Why should we take these special spiritual gifts? Why should we take the strength from God? And why should we serve other people? Look what Peter says in verse 11. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, we once were lost, but now we've been found. We once were blind, but now we see. We once were dead in our sin, but now we've been rescued. We've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are alive in Christ. That's that's not an Easter message. That's an every second message. We are alive in Christ. And because we're alive in Christ, the life that we are now living has one ultimate purpose purpose and Peter just gave it to us it is to glorify God through Jesus Christ that that is our purpose to do all do all do all for the glory of God that's our calling it's our individual greatest value as believers and it is the greatest value of a healthy church it's the greatest value the glory of God through Jesus Christ. It's the greatest value the church can have. You see, we are better together and we are stronger together when we are healthy together. And the the greatest health that any Christian in any church can have is all found in being together for the good of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's been almost 20 years ago now that uh, I sat down with my buddy Brent and, and we just started trying to take that and, and to try to come up with kind of a vision and a plan of, of what that would look like in the life of the church. Just, just this one sentence from Peter. If we just took what it meant to, to glorify God, what, what would that look like in the life of the church? And over the course of, of a year, we, we put together a, a pretty big plan. We, we were pretty excited about it, but but we've never been able to truly implement it uh, in any of the churches that we've served. But I've never forgotten about it. It's, it's always kind of sitting over there. I'm always, always kind of praying about it. I'm always like, man, God, I'd, I'd love if there was a, a moment, you know, that, that, that we could just do something with this. So guess what? Now's the moment. This, this is the time. This, this is the place. This, this is the season that I think God is, is going to do a great work in the life of our church. So we're about to unpack over the next three months what it means to be together for good. And the reality is if we look around us at the darkness in the world, if we look around us at all that's wrong in the world, all that's bad in the world, this is a great time for our church to be together for good together for good in our church, together for good in this community, together for good to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I do like the play on words. As Christians, we will be together for good. That's a time truth. But we're together for good, and and we're going to look at what that means. How is it that we take the glory of God, this amazing value that every Christian should have, what does that look like in the life of the church? And the way we're going to do that is is by looking at 14 different values. That's right, 14 different sermons. Now, somebody's saying, woo, too much, man. Uh Uh-uh. 
I can't remember 14 things. You got to break that down to two, all right? Just go two. You know, let's just love God and love people, and let's just leave it at that. Well, those are two really good ones, I admit. But remember, we have been given the magnificent, manifold, multifaceted grace of God. It's been deposited into our soul. And that kind of grace cannot be expressed in just two things or 14 things. There's hundreds of realities that come from the truth of finding the grace of God. I think I've shared with you before the advice I got from a retired Air Force friend he said that his commanding officer told him one time, look, you're going to have lots of things to do while you're in the military, and you're going to have to do those things, but, but you need to pick two. Pick two things of all the things that you have and do those two things really, really well. So I want to encourage you, even now, that as, as we step into this journey, go ahead and be prayerfully thinking about which two of these 14 things are going to be your things. Which two are, are going to be the thing that, that really fuel you as you serve in the church, as you use your special gifts in the life of the church? And, and let me just give you some quick motivation for that. And I, I think some of you have heard me say this before. If, if you are, this is my math, I didn't read this somewhere, so all my math could be wrong, but, but in my mind, if you see within our world as a church, the, the Southern Baptist world, if you see a Southern Baptist church, although I think this applies across the board, that's still alive, that's still doing great things, that's still serving the Lord, instead of just living off the money that's in the bank until everybody dies and they run out of money, which a lot of churches are doing that. If you see a church that's still alive, that's still doing things, that's still functioning like our church, you can almost draw a line to the senior adults in the mid-80s. And here's why. Because the Southern Baptist Church and many churches across America, their heyday was 1950 to 1975, 1980. And then all of a sudden, things changed. The, the, the greatness of the culture loving the church began to change. And it was those senior adults in the mid-80s that went, you know what, we want this church here 40 years from now, so we're not going to be a country club. We're not going to fight to get our way. We're not going to try to keep things just like they are. We, we want the gospel to keep going and keep serving. And those are the churches that are still alive. As the old proverb says, the greatest men and women are the ones that plant the seed of the tree knowing they'll never sit in the shade. That's us every day of our life as believers. We're planting the seed of the gospel, knowing that we'll never sit sometimes in the shade of what we've planted, but one day we will be together for good. So the motivation is, is tremendous. We have a great opportunity to do a great thing inside this church that will flow out outside of this church into all the world. So we're just gonna take that one value and, and I, want, I want you to hear it in, in three different questions. That one value of we exist for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And it goes like this. What do we value the most? Well, as Christians and as a church, we value drawing attention to the person of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And why? Why do we value that the most? because it's the most strategic way to display the glory 
and the fame of God. Make a big deal of Jesus. Raise up Jesus. God will be glorified. But one step further, what does that value accomplish? The salvation of men and women as they surrender to Christ, as they are rescued and redeemed by Christ. And that one ultimate value we're going to look at in in 14 different ways. We're going to look at how that one value is it's birthed into the church in 14 different ways. So what are those 14 different values? And again, we could have 114. We're just going to run with these. Well, those 14 values, I'm, I'm about to read to you, but before I do, I really want to encourage you, as you hear them, find your one or two. Go ahead and be praying and thinking, okay, what, what, is, what does this look like in my life? What fuels am I going to use for the glory of God? All right, here we go. Number one, we are together for the good of God's sovereignty. We are together for the good of absolute truth. We are together for the good of confident prayer. We're together for the good of making disciples. We're together for the good of joyful nations, mean making sure that the gospel doesn't stay in this room, but it gets to the uttermost parts of the world. We're together for the good of planting churches and supporting churches and remembering that we are one church. We're not the only church. We are part of a fantastic family of churches. We're together for the good of evangelistic relationships. We're together for the good of musical worship. We're together for the good of truth-filled homes. We're together for the good of servant leadership. We're together for the good of genuine conversions. We're together for the good of meaningful membership, of generous giving, and of committed fellowship. So, here we go. I'm pretty fired up, you know. Um, We've been talking about this amongst, you know, our ministerial staff and Tammy and Lindsay and I have been praying about this. So so, so I'm Jack. Hey, you know what? We're even going to have a t-shirt. So come on now. There's going to be a t-shirt. Well, together for a good t-shirt. So so we're we're stepping in. And so I'm, I'm thrilled about the next 14 weeks as we unpack each one of these. I am even more thrilled to see how God calls you out to plant your seed and what God will do in your life through the gospel. So let's take this grace. Let's take our gifts. Let's discover our gifts. Let's take the strength that God has given us. Let's take this magnificent, manifold, multifaceted grace of God and let's bring glory to God through Jesus Christ in such a way that it changes who we are. But by God's mercy, that it would change the impact we have in this community, in this country, and to the whole world. So, join me as we launch into a a new season of hope, a new season of, of purpose, a new season of grace. Because, dear Christian, or non Christian, church member, or visitor, Holland Avenue Baptist Church, we are together for good.